Hi, I'm Trevor Elio. And I'm Julie Stern. And this is Conceptually Speaking, the show where we interview experts to uncover the concepts and patterns that help us organize our world. From farming to fashion, we can understand any field through acquiring, organizing, and transferring conceptual relationships. We hope this podcast will inspire teachers and students to design creative solutions to complex problems and accelerate innovation in today's schools. If you're interested in our work, you can find out more at edtosavetheworld.com. Our guest this week is design thinker, tech and innovation specialist, David Lee. David teaches at the Singapore American School and is doing some incredible work there. On today's episode, we'll explore his idea of edupermaculture, which he defines as an approach to education that centers around simulating experiences and directly utilizing the behaviors, strategies, practices, and systems found in successful real-world learning environments, and then integrating them into school learning experiences and ecosystems. Over the course of our dialogue, you hear some awesome concrete examples of how David anchors his teaching and students' learning in authentic contexts. More powerful still, but share how those authentic learning experiences impacted his life too. I started gaining this confidence and gaining these skills that I didn't know I was supposed supposed to be equipped with Mm -hmm. to be successful. So I started to develop those things. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just kind of confused on why I was being more successful exiting the education system. Mm -hmm. And um, what I realized as a teacher was, okay, I'm going to help uh, students be ready for their future. Not -hmm. not to be good at school, but to Mm -hmm. be good um, in their future daily lives. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I was trying to think, how do you do that? And the real world context always popped up in my head. And that's why Mm -hmm. I was so drawn to project-based learning Mm -hmm. was these, the real world context provided it forced me to develop these skills. We usually wait until the end to plug our guest's work, but if you don't already subscribe to his YouTube channel or have seen his website, you need to. His video content is some of the highest quality stuff out there, both in terms of its design and message. It's clear that David practices what he preaches to his students. We hope you'll enjoy today's episode. Our guest today is David Lee. He's part of the elementary tech and innovation team at Singapore American School, and he's here to talk this week about the future of education. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me. Super excited. Uh, I've been following Julie's work for a while, and um, I can't believe I'm on the podcast. So uh, we're so excited to have you. <laughs> yeah, same here. Same here. Mutual, mutual admiration. <laughs> um, so can you can you talk to us a little bit about your role at the Singapore American School and, and what some of your thoughts are about the future of education? Uh, I work in the elementary department, and um, I'm part of a tech and innovation team. Uh, that's four of us. And um, it's it's really, we do a lot of different things. Of, of course, the ed tech part, um, logistical stuff, digital citizenship, digital literacy. Um, but we're, we're also focused very much on curriculum and developing curriculum with teachers and finding where not only tech um, gets integrated, but also uh, maker culture, um, engineering, uh, design thinking, which is my specialty. Um, And so it's very much uh, a curriculum-focused role. Um, And we're trying to kind of shift that because I think before there was a lot of just um, some side tech integration, but it's not very meaningful when it's not part of the core curriculum um, and part of the classroom as well. So so would you would it be safe to say you're sort of contrasting curriculum with like tech as some sort of supplementary add-on that you're trying to be more integrated? Is that is that a fair thing? 
Yeah, and and when I think of integration, it's more uh, not even an add-on. It's like um, it's like an essential part of the unit, and and we need and, and it takes some creativity on our part to think of those things. So, um, for example, uh, fourth grade has developed uh, with Joe Brown has developed who is the instructional coach um, has developed um, a unit about Rube Goldberg machines, and and they go through the whole process of inquiry to develop these things and. For my part, the plan was to um, integrate the coding part and just to help students realize uh, these engineers, uh, they go through the process of using um, simulation uh, application and CAD, those kind of things. And so they will be programming to show their Rube Goldberg machine, test it out in that way, um, but also at the same time hitting those science things. So it's more like... Yeah, it's not really an add-on. It's like essential to the unit, or it make it just enhances the unit. You're right. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Another I'm level. Imagining like a, a te- technological tool versus like the singularity. It is integrated into the body of yes. the curriculum. So could absolutely. You you've been or you mentioned that there is kind of a shift that has occurred. Could you talk about what is the difference when you're in a classroom where tech is being used as kind of an add-on or a feature, or when it's really being integrated into the curriculum? Can, can you? Can you see it with the instruction? Do you see it with the result? Like how, how, does, how does that shift actually looking and playing out in the classroom? Well, I think a lot of schools, uh, because tech is a hot topic, they want, to, they want to have tech in their school. So it becomes where the ed tech specialist comes in and does a coding lesson, um, talks about computational thinking, decomposition, mm-hmm. all those really cool things, uh, mm-hmm. but then, then, then leaves. Uh, I mm-hmm. think the shift is more where I was there from day one in the unit planning, and mm-hmm. I've, I've noticed that there's this really cool project. I can then teach decomposition and teach the students how to look at the end goal and then break down that project into small parts so you can actually do it. Um, I think that's a bit more meaningful, right? So, um, and, 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 and it's not a criticism to ed tech. When I started um, like uh, seven years ago, we were all started. I mean, people were just getting iPads. And so the training mm-hmm. was to teach students how to use iPads. So there, mm-hmm. it's just a progression, really. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. Yeah. And so you you started off like how people, how I know you in my mind is David Lee EdTech. Maybe that's your mm-hmm. Twitter handle. Maybe that's your website. Um, yeah. And so for me, I associate David Lee with educational technology. Um, yeah. And you said, you know, digital, uh, excuse me, you named a lot of different things, digital citizenship. Uh, a maker culture, which I love. Um, design thinking, you said, is like super. You're you're really passionate about that. And so, why, if your if your sort of overall field is the future of education, and design thinking is something you really you're really passionate about, could you talk about why design thinking to you is like an essential element of the future of education? Before I answer that question, I would love mm-hmm. to talk about edu permaculture. Yeah, uh, which yeah, is a design is... <laughs> approach <laughs> uh, that uh, my friend David Hotler and I have been thinking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, um, when I was when I exited exited the education system, um, mm-hmm. I wasn't a great student. I didn't get great grades. Um, I didn't feel like I was good at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once I entered the real world um, mm-hmm. and started my profession. Uh, I started gaining this confidence and gaining these skills that I didn't know I was supposed supposed to um, be equipped with mm-hmm. to be successful. So I started to develop those things. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just kind of confused on why I was being more successful 
exiting the education system. Mm. And mm. Um, what I realized as a teacher was, okay, I'm going to help uh, students be ready for their future, not, mm-hmm. not to be good at school, but to mm-hmm. be good um, in their future daily lives. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I was trying to think, how do you do that? And the real world context always popped up in my head. And that's why mm-hmm. I was so drawn to project-based learning mm-hmm. was these, the real world context provided, it forced me to develop these skills mm-hmm. and 21st century skills, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it literally forced me too Um, because if I didn't do those things um, I would not survive like I had Mm -hmm. a lot of social issues talking to people I had to improve my communication it was just this forced thing and so Mm. the real world context if you provide that for students it kind of gives the the students the opportunity to practice those things and then the teacher comes and facilitates and gives strategies and 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 uh, helps those students um, so the real world context was really important. Um, and so I, I did project based learning. I was a computer teacher. I did ed tech. Um, and I, I, con- I continued to melt those things together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I realized and what blew me away when I learned about design thinking was that um, what was missing was the tool for um, students to navigate through these real world contexts. Mm. And design thinking, man, it really uh, packaged it so well and scaffolded um, innovative thinking so mm-hmm. well. Um, and so I was basically, um, I was out at this Google Academy thing and I was talking to David Hotler and saying, we, we basically need to try to simulate the real world into our schools mm-hmm. as best as we can. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of constraints. Mm-hmm. And he was like, man, that really sounds like permaculture. Mm-hmm. Um, and permaculture is um, this concept that was coined by Bill Mollison and David Holmgren. Basically, these two guys were like blown away about, you know, natural ecosystems like mm-hmm. rainforests and stuff and mm-hmm. how much biomass it was producing. When you look at farming farms, uh, mm-hmm. it produces it could produce a lot of biomass, but uh, it can ruin the environment. And, and, but you know, the rainforest is self-sustaining. It's this mm-hmm. beautiful entity. And so uh, the two men were just, they started this concept of try to simulate the natural ecosystem so that there's sustainability plus natural, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of biomass. So mm-hmm. that's the that's the concept we decided to take was edupermaculture, basically simulate the real world as best as possible into our schools. Now, you know, if you simulate the real world all the time, it's not going to be great because the real world do a lot of weird practices. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see a lot of organizations and businesses, they have really bad culture sometimes, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's really, you're picking and choosing the best learning mm-hmm. environments in the real world and then taking it in, and putting it into your classroom. And so design thinking and project-based learning is very much that way. And then design thinking was basically taking a tool that innovative people, mm-hmm. successful people are using, mm-hmm. and then you're handing it to a second grader, you're handing mm-hmm. it to a third grader and equipping them that, and, and, and starting them so young. And that's just naturally how they start to think all the way to 12, 12th grade. And then you exit the education system. And then you're well, you might be over-prepared. 
Like mm. you, the, the organization you join might not even be as innovative as you're <laughs> thinking, right? And so, then you end up being frustrated. But you could, you, I'm sure. Imagine, well, imagine you bring a lot of that thinking to to the, the the space. I love that. We've had some previous guests who talk about both things. That I just want to sort of draw on two things. Um, yeah. One is that. Uh, you, we've had previous guests who were not successful in school or were considered weird in school and wanted to uh, sort of create this space as teachers or as, as adults where, where students don't feel sort of socially weird. Um, right. And that was one of our guests. And another one uh, talked about, uh, about preparing students to write you know, in, in print, and then they mm-hmm. were not prepared for quote unquote, the real world for their jobs, because so much is multimodal now. Um, and so you, you, you hit on two things that, that two of our previous guests have talked about. And I love this idea of permaculture. I've seen you talk about, I've seen on your website, edu permaculture, and I've, I've loved that idea. When my co my original co authors and I were, were talking about education as a factory model, um, it, it pairs so nicely. If you think the manager is the teacher, you know, uh, the students are, are the factory workers, things of that nature. The test is like the product. You know, there's a lot of analogies you can make there. And we just kept saying, well, what is the future? What's the alternative analogy? And we, we had a lot of conversations about that. And the thing we came up with was, was ecosystems. Like, a, you know, it's very, very similar. What you're saying is just this, yes. this much more natural, um, different people have different roles, um, that they're all working together, this interdependent relationship between teachers and students and parents and the outside world. And, um, and so I, I really love that. That's a great, great idea of, of permaculture, simulating the natural world. I didn't, I didn't make that connection just reading until you said that <laughs> about um, simulating the real world. Um, almost yeah. as like simulating the the positive, only the positive organisms. Only the positives. We're not going <laughs> to simulate some of the negative stuff. Uh, that's really yeah. cool. Like but the hierarchy it, you see, you find in organizations and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You don't want to copy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, it's, Trevor. No, it's, it's something that I, I think is is very needed in schools now because I think that the the longer the time goes on, the more uh, things that are happening in civic, social, and and you know uh, organizational places is looking increasingly different than what's happening in the classroom. And what I love about design thinking um, is the fact that it is, it exists across so many fields. You know, my, my um, I have friends that are consultants at some of the biggest, um, you know, firms in the world and they use design thinking. They, they do, they use those tools. They use those, those frames of mind. Um, uh, and there are so many uh, positions and jobs out there now that require this sort of inner or transdisciplinary approach and it's like um and the just the very word design is something that's bleeding into so many things like um uh my my, my wife and i are, are an interesting pair in terms of our career she was like a, a spreadsheet you know guru wizard um and like i'm fine in microsoft word but you put me in excel and, and i'm totally lost but um now her job requires her to take the data that was entered into excel and there's a, um, a program called tableau it's a data visual, visualization software so this world of like crunchy, you know, al- algorithm and, and that in numbers is now fusing with this sort of like artistic world and, and the, you know, the amount of uh, like leverage that your deck gets with, with a client or, or with someone mm-hmm. you're trying to propose to, 
the way that it looks, your presentation, it matters. And so I love the idea that not only are we teaching students these sort of these sort of skills and these bodies of knowledge that are applicable to the real world, but even just the process of how they create those products is one that is, mm-hmm. is echoed in other places. And even better, it's one they can bring into their own lives. My, my wife keeps saying that she's going to make a scrum board for all the chores that I don't do um, around, <laughs> our, around our apartment. So I, I do, I think it's, it's, it's powerful. So are there any specific organizations that you kind of like look to as like, as like a, a, a shining beacon or star that you kind of like um, kind of pull some of their ideas and, and frames and lessons from? Yeah. So everything with design thinking um, is not from me. It's, it's, I mean, I just applied it. And so the book uh, that I wrote design thinking in the classroom is just me applying those ideas. And so IDEO, um, which is mm-hmm. a design firm and D school, um, and Google, I just look at their practices and try to, I always try to place their best strategies, their best thinking um, into classrooms. So back to edu permaculture. So in this learning ecosystem, um, you need to have pedagogy um, that provides real world context. Mm-hmm. Then you need applied learning practices uh, mm-hmm. that help students navigate through that real world context. And mm-hmm. that's where design things. So, so the pedagogy for me is project-based learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be anything, concept-based learning, uh, mm-hmm. inquiry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the applied learning practices uh, for me has been design thinking. But of mm-hmm. course there's scientific method, there's scrum, there's, there's a whole bunch of different learning processes, right? Um, the third part of this ecosystem is the culture part. Mm. And that was another reason why I was blown away by design thinking was you give a process to someone, uh, I guess they'll be somewhat successful, but if you infuse the mindsets and the culture of what design thinking encompasses, man, they're going to, it's going to change their lives. It Mm -hmm. literally is a way of living. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and then the fourth thing, and I'm thinking in a school organization, you need structures and support um, and systems in place to support all of these things. Yeah. And, um, you know, in a school that's admin, instruction for coaches, scheduling all to, okay. to allow all this flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the edu permaculture learning ecosystem at, that is needed uh, to really simulate the real world best as possible. And I love that you're applying this to elementary because I feel like a lot of people in this space who are talking about this stuff, it, it's easier in some, in some, I guess it's pros and cons, right? It, but mm-hmm. I can imagine a lot of people are more in the, in the secondary space. And so when you said that, how do you get a second grader to apply design thinking um, can you do you have any stories for us or or how in the world do you do that for like a seven year old? One big learning coming to Singapore American school is my second year is mm-hmm. to not actually name drop everything. So I didn't mm-hmm. have to say, let's implement design thinking, which I did. Mm-hmm. And I regret that. And all I should have done coming in is like, can we um, practice brainstorming, mm-hmm. you know, be mm-hmm. thinking innovatively? Everyone would have said yes, uh, Mm -hmm. and that's easily infused. But if I, because I said design, let's integrate design thinking, that that sounds like an add on. Mm. And in an ecosystem, you don't add on things, they Mm. all just Mm. things exist and they work together. Mm. I'll just do an example. I got to work with Chris Smith, uh, Jody, um, and the uh, second grade team on this museum project. And museum projects, you know, are very common. 
right? Yeah. Since design thinking is used in the real world, in a real world context, you got to provide that as well, right? So we did that by having them um, think as curators and exhibit designers. The empathy part of design thinking, uh, we utilized that when they visited the museum. They didn't just look at the information, which right. I think a lot of us have when we were kids. Right. Like re- It's really cool information. But they mm-hmm. got to think even deeper as in, why did the curator choose this information? Mm-hmm. How did they mm-hmm. visually show that? Mm-hmm. How does it, the vis- visitor um, feel when they enter this room? Mm-hmm. Um, how do they interact with the room? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's this room in Singapore in this National Singapore Museum. It's it looks like a factory and it and it shows the different things that they manufactured. Uh, but visually, it was so easy to just understand what they're trying to explain. Mm-hmm. And all of that was all planned. Yeah. And you know, as a second grade, as a second, I mean, even adults don't even think that way. So right. Right. It gave yeah. them mm-hmm. another level of thinking, and then they and then they just got to get exposed to a new career that you know no one will talk about like Mm -hmm. when I was in elementary school it was police officer teacher and I think that's what's really cool about edge of permaculture is like you're exposing each grade multiple times your different different occupations different Mm -hmm. things and Mm -hmm. all of them doing creative problem solving all Mm -hmm. of them and so that's Mm -hmm. why design thinking is so easy to implement um and then we just went through the process and, and, and this year, I mean, next year, sorry, hopefully we add more empathy work, um, mm-hmm. having interviewing cur- curators, like the mm-hmm. experts and the designers, um, actually going up to visitors and saying, is it okay if I talk to you for two minutes and asking mm-hmm. a few questions? And then we just went through the ideation stage and they designed their own exhibits and they were very, they got to be very creative. And this is second grade, so it's easier for them to think out, you know, more outside. Of right. The box. That's kind of what so, I was thinking of uh, pros and cons with secondary versus elementary. What you do yeah. have with elementary is they tend to be way wackier in their, yep. in their imagination. <laughs> um, right. And they've, they're less concerned um, about sort of pleasing the teacher uh, and and I feel like a lot of high school students, we get frustrated with them when we ask them to think outside the box because they're like, well, what do you want me to say? What do you want? Uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. and that's, they're trained to do that. For and, sure. For you sure. know, we can't be really upset with them because I do that, you know, <laughs> I do that too. Like, I want to know the answer so I don't, I do it right. Like, I, that's just a natural thing because of the way we're how you went through yeah. school so, so um, one of the things you're talking about that I, I felt was interesting and it's a it's a, a design principle if you will that could exist for elementary and secondary is is that the idea of freedom within structure because if you were mm-hmm. to you know put kids in a museum and just say what do you think it's a museum <laughs> it's cool right They're, they don't really have a direction or momentum mm-hmm. or a context at the same time, if you were to put kids in a museum and say, here's a worksheet, fill it out based on what you see, like that, that is not a meaningful experience whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like what you're kind of suggesting with, um, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if it's empathy work specifically or, or just like sort of a design mindset. It's knowledge that is situated. But once students sort of adopt that lens or they begin thinking in that modality, they can then bring that to other parts of their life. So they encounter a problem and like, okay, well, let me start thinking like a curator. 
And yeah. I, that aligns really well with what we're talking about um, uh, when we just read a blog, we're going to start doing some work around this idea of modern literacies. And that idea mm. that, you know, when it comes to the ways that we, we know, think, and um, uh, do stuff in the, in, the, in the modern world, it can't just exist in these little disciplinary hubs. So this idea of approaching a problem, and instead of just thinking like a historian, um, a writer, or a scientist, we can start thinking like a museum curator. Or you can start yeah. thinking oh, yeah. like an interior designer. And, and it's like the, these sort of like uh, these lenses that we can have when we go out into the world. So what do you do to, or can you maybe walk us through some of like a, what that empathy process would look like, how you get kids thinking like a, like a curator or, or, or whatever? Yeah, I think the first and foremost is the educator, the edu- educators who are developing this these units need to also think about curators and mm, think yes. like curators and designers. Mm. So, uh, and this is what I'm going to be recommending for next year is do, we should do a lot of research. Mm. And I have pulled out some YouTube clips of interviews of curators, actually a curator from the Singapore National Museum. They're just talking about what they do. And, and you mm-hmm. can totally sense what they're all about. And when you get in that mindset and then start developing the unit, you're not going to have random learning activities pop in there to hit that standard. You're going to develop a learning activity that hits the standard, but also is related to the narrative of being a curator. And um, I think once you do that, then it gets a lot easier for the students to think like curators because that is... That is the narrative they're literally learning and living in. And that's why it's not a free-for-all. Um, it's very much planned. You ask mm-hmm. the essential questions, and those, some of those essential questions would be to think like a curator. Not mm-hmm. to say you're – I mean, you can say you're a curator. I think that's actually beneficial because I was always – I got really excited when I – got to pretend I was a perfect, like a, a different mm-hmm. profession. I mean, mm-hmm. That's just what children do. They, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. play, they role play, right? They role play, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And um, when I, I remember this one activity, the teacher said I was a national park ranger or something. And I, I got to go to a park <laughs> and just f- find leaves and mm-hmm. collect it and identify it. And that's one of the only projects I remember that I really enjoyed mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and learned a lot from. Yeah, just get, getting the students into that mindset is extremely important. And, and so you, awesome. you, yeah. yeah. And it sounds really flexible too. Uh, um, I'll just say it, it sounds really flexible. And I think that if there's one thing that we're going to need to have in the future, whether you're talking about, you know, uh, businesses, civic, social spaces, is just flexibility. The world mm-hmm. is changing and evolving and overlapping on itself so quickly that, you know, if you if you sort of um, go through your educational life or career with just like two or three lenses that you use to, you know, view and evaluate the world, you're going to struggle. And I think that um, it's really important to help students sort of uh, get used to that flexibility. And I imagine imagination is a word that does kind of come into play because you need to yeah. be able to maybe step outside of yourself sometimes and mm-hmm. think in, in a mode differently than, than you're used to. So I think that's... Um, Again, it, it's very cool that these things are going to help children in the, you know, with, once they leave academia, you're, you're sort of fostering in them there. 
Um, yeah. And they're becoming aware of these, you know, the uh, edu or the permu culture of, of everything, right? All of life today yeah. is nothing but overlapping systems. So right. I really dig that that metaphor for that reason. Mm. That sort of is a nice segue to before we started recording, you you were talking about different different concepts um, related to sort of the future of school, related to design thinking, and one of them was self-efficacy. So yeah. I'm just sort of you know with Trevor talking about yeah. flexibility or adaptability. Um, could you tell us first, just for our listeners, what is self-efficacy? Um, it's the belief uh, that you are able to perform behaviors and practices to meet a specific goal, that belief mm-hmm. in yourself. And mm-hmm. I for sure did not have that um, during my schooling. I was one of those kids who I wanted the teacher to explain step by step, what do you want me to do? And, mm-hmm. and for some reason, I still couldn't get the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the grades. Um, <laughs> But, you know, once I entered the real world and in my into my profession, I started gaining small, uh, manageable successes. Mm -hmm. And gradually I gained that confidence, uh, that belief I can I can bring change. I can do these things. And now I'm like, I feel like I'm on a mission to change the world through these kids and through Mm -hmm. education and try to create that ideal education system so that Mm -hmm. it could be replicated in the whole. And that's a huge idea that I'm trying to do. And I would have never tried to do before. Um, But yeah, and I think it's uh, the small successes and then realizing what specific tools that will help me to um, get there. And design thinking has changed my life. Like mm-hmm. those, it's it's a toolkit that has allowed me to collaborate really well, to think creatively, um, to storytell as well. Mm-hmm. Like uh, like your wife, Trevor, she gets data. It's a visual representation of the data. But then there's another thing of mm-hmm. storytelling of like, what do you do with that data? Like, let's not just keep collecting data yeah. and have all this really cool information. And you got to tell that story of what can that data do? We need to change this. We have to, you know, it, it, it helped me with the whole storytelling part as well. You can't convince people to do a great idea without that storytelling aspect of it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Again, like Trevor, story, we have like meta concepts that are emerging yeah, over the course keeps, of our podcast. We talk to people about so many different um, topics, but storytelling keeps coming up again and again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I just love that. And so would you say you sort of already answered my sort of part two of that question of like, okay, so if self-efficacy is your belief in your ability to sort of achieve a goal, how do we build that with students? Mm-hmm. Um you sort of talked a little bit about small wins, but I just wonder if you could elaborate a little bit about how in the world do you build self-efficacy, especially with those kids who maybe are shy or otherwise don't believe in themselves. It's important to note that like the museum project, there's a lot of voice and choice in that where Mm. students decide a lot of different things. They'll Mm. decide uh, the questions they ask. They'll decide what is it, that the, you know um, they're going to create what information that they're going to collect. Uh, there's a lot of decision making, mm-hmm. um, and that is extremely weird for students in the first right. time yeah. uh, doing that. And Isn't that it's sad? Frustrating that that's for them. weird. Yeah, yeah. Wow. it's very frustrating for them. I think what I would love educators to understand is like these units are not free for alls. They're 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 planned in detail. Really, you're creating a simulation. So it is planned really well and you're scaffolding step by step. You're you're creating those small manageable wins so that they can get to the goal of being a curator. Like 
if you told a second grader in the beginning of the year, you're going to design an exhibit, mm-hmm. you know, and you're going to identify what you're going to show. And it has to show change of change over time, that kind of thing. It's a daunting task. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really daunting. And so, but if you scaffold the process and create that beautiful narrative, mm-hmm. they will get to that goal of designing something or they will get close to it. But to have the, to have them think that they were for that unit, a curator is, is awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, and then the next unit and in third grade, they'll, there might be a big project of where mm-hmm. um, imagine a, a kindergarten starting with these projects and they're in 12th grade, it's going to be natural. It's going to be normal. And mm-hmm. so when they exit and they're given this project from their boss, there's usually a way to do that project. Mm-hmm. That person will do it, but better. Mm-hmm. I, I, in my in my opinion, um, they'll be a lot more creative um, in the solution that they develop. One thing you talked about um, as well before we started recording was the beginner's mindset, which we know that's an important aspect of design thinking. And I'm wondering, like you said, what I just sort of thought of this of like you, you want teachers to think like a curator or think like, you know, almost teachers to practice the empathy. Do you find that it's hard to get teachers to have a beginner's mindset? Or do they get excited about that idea? Um, so that idea I haven't actually implemented. I only mm-hmm. sent them the videos, mm-hmm. but I, mm-hmm. I haven't been intentional about speaking to mm-hmm. guys. We need to think like curators. Uh-huh. We need I to see, simulate. And so I'm excited to talk about that next year. Hopefully I could still continue with that project. Beginner's mindset is essential because you're open um, as a beginner. And I think that's what help me to be successful is like my background is not design my background is not even technology like I hated technology in, in high wow, school wow isn't that interesting do things. <laughs> yeah and and uh, so there's hope I, for me Trevor <laughs> <laughs> just gonna, you have I was just saying, I say Trevor Trevor help me with this <laughs> so good. yeah and and I think being naive Mm-hmm. or being a beginner, like you just, you're eager to learn as much as possible. You don't have these yeah. uh, preconceptions um, mm-hmm. about that topic or anything. I think just teachers have to go through that process of researching and then realize mm-hmm. how valuable that is when mm-hmm. they then um, implement it. Mm-hmm. Uh, beginner's mindset is crucial because you're, you're constantly curious and you're optimistic. Kind of like how I started as a computer teacher. Like I mm-hmm. just felt like mm-hmm. um, I could get this done. And it's that audacity to try new things, right? So it seems like that's another kind of common thread that's existed throughout our podcast is this idea that, you know, as a as a as an educator, it's really difficult to try to to build up or, or inculcate a, a mindset or or a skill set or a body of knowledge in your students if you haven't explored it yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that idea of of as a teacher, what is how can you adopt a beginner's mindset. So you go in with questions, you know, so much of, of the teacher identity, I think can be sourced from being an expert, right? That's kind of what, you know, that is our, our mystical powers to know all the things. So to step outside of that um, and to, to put ourselves in a position where we are vulnerable, you know, we, we have to admit that we don't know things um, can sometimes be uncomfortable, but I, I feel like my biggest moments of growth are, are when I, I enter into a field or I have a conversation with someone and I'm like, I know nothing. Um, and I know nothing to the point where I'm not really ashamed about it. Because, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and those are the, and the, the moments where I have some knowledge in a field and I go into a conversation 
and I kind of like I don't want to appear as if I don't understand or don't know. Mm. I think that, that mm. those are the occasions where I learn less. And yeah. it's the times where I'm comfortable enough to say, I'm lost. Please mm. help me where yeah. I really get to, to grow. So I think that's that's really powerful uh, lesson. So um, are there any places that you recommend teachers go to to like or, or resources that talk about how as a teacher you can build uh, a beginner's mindset or, or explore that a little bit? You said it perfectly as in um, you just described two different cultures. And, mm-hmm. and it just starts from admin. It starts from it's the whole school culture. Mm. You know, there's moments where I shut down and I don't mm. share any ideas. Mm. And then there's moments where I'm just spewing all these ideas and it's based on the culture of that mm. room. Mm. Even though I'm doing all this stuff. Yeah, there's times when I just sit there and not say anything. Mm. I mean, a lot of times I'm thinking through things, but. Sometimes I don't want to share because I don't feel comfortable sharing. Mm. If it's it's mm. like not the right answer in that context. I'm I've only been able to all do all of these things because of the admin I've been mm. under in Korea International School uh, where I was before. I had Danielle Rich who was my principal and just wanted the best for the school, wanted the, mm-hmm. you know the ideal education system, but didn't put the pressure of like it, there wasn't really pressure. They just mm. she just knew that the teachers wanted the best for the kids and and will do whatever it takes. Mm. Uh, but there wasn't this pressure. And so I think a lot, it comes from leadership and, and culture, right? So, because mm. I don't think I just decided I'm going to do it. I don't I don't think I'm that strong-minded. I think I was in a place where mm. I had all these ideas and they let me share those ideas and do those ideas and um, have that culture. So yeah, you really got to cool. be in an ecosystem in order to, yeah. for those things to grow, right? Like it has yeah, that's, to, the, oh the, my the, gosh. the stuff has to be right. Uh, that's, that's yeah. So like point. if you, if you implement project-based learning really well, but if you don't have the applied learning practices, it's, you're not, their kids are not going to create as sophisticated things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't have the systems down, you can't actually do those things. If you don't have the culture, it doesn't matter what process you do, you're not going mm-hmm. to have innovative ideas. Because mm-hmm. uh, culture, I think, is the hardest. And I still don't. Definitely. I can identify sure. great culture. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. no clue how to develop that. That's a, another field. You need to interview someone else. For that. <laughs> <laughs> An anthropologist on here. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And I, you know, it reminds me of, we did have Jenny, Jenny Zana who's talking about collective efficacy. Talk, mm-hmm. So you talk about self-efficacy of the students, but how do you get that collective efficacy oh, of the wow. faculty? Um, cool. I think it, that that's that, that, that really that linchpin. Um, but I, I, I like that, you know, overall, you're thinking about the future of education. Um, you sort of broken it down into you've got to have the pedagogy, you've got to have, um, as you say, sort of the, the applications, um, that real world context, you know, the culture, you sort of broke it down into all of these different things, the systems, uh, for sure, for sure. I love that. And I just, I wonder if you could, um, just as we're, we're wrapping up here, if, could you share a little bit about why? why are you passionate? You say you, I think at one point said you're ready to like help kids change the world. Like, why do you think education needs to change? Why do you think we can't keep doing school the way that we went through school? Empathize with myself, I guess. I just constantly (laughs) think about my own schooling, which was great. The Mm. the schooling was great because I learned, I learned a lot, right? Mm. I learned a lot, but I didn't apply what I've learned. I Mm. learned into what I'm doing now, really. Um, Mm -hmm. 
what if I was that kid and I was provided that edu permaculture experience, where would I be now? Like, mm. I kind of mm. think about that as well. Mm. Um, and I think about my son and I think mm. about, you know, the, the students who are not good at school. Mm-hmm. I tried, I tried to be good at school and I couldn't. And, and, mm. and maybe there's a reason why they're not successful. And, and you hear stories about that all the time. Like That's teachers right. implementing mm-hmm. project-based learning and the kid who is acting out is producing mm-hmm. higher thinking type of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I think there's a reason for those things. You can also train te- uh, students who are good at school, who know how mm-hmm. to follow steps and to think differently. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's a valuable thing to follow processes, but then also having that creative problem solving aspect as well. I mean, they're going to rule the world. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of, mm-hmm. uh, and because I, I feel like this is something that needs to happen in a, a lot of schools. Like that's why I came to Singapore American school because they, they want to create the ideal education um, environment. I'm excited for the future because we're going to get that new campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm hoping that we will figure these things out and then right. other schools can come, come and see it and replicate it. And, it, and, and to, in my mind, that's kind of changing the world. You're, you're mm-hmm. changing different schools and then that's, you know, a whole student population. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of what motivates me. That's right. You guys are certainly pioneering. So I've been to Singapore American School twice. Um, it's really, really, I mostly worked with the secondary, only very briefly with elementary. But yeah, I mean, just uh, in some ways, like all things, you're pioneering. So sometimes there's some missteps. There's some uh, lots of lessons learned. Um, it's not clean. It's a bit messy. But but Singapore American School is certainly a leader in the field of pioneering just really different ways to do school. So uh, super, super kudos to you for, for being there. Super kudos to you for uh, just a transformation. It sounds like from where, where you were as a student and where you are now, look at you uh, author and uh, you YouTuber and uh, all of these different things. So, so that's really, really such a great success story. I love that. No, Thank that's, you. that's awesome. So uh, David, if people want to learn more, more about edu permaculture or find more of your work where can they go where do you recommend they go yeah if you just go to davidleeedtech.org um, that has that'll send you to my different platforms youtube mm-hmm. instagram um, and then my book design thinking in the classroom that's awesome, awesome. and i want to bother you about website design tips here at some point because uh, your website <laughs> and your your content game is excellent so yes for sure for sure <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us. I know it's it's morning time for you over there. So I hope you enjoy uh, the rest of your day. Thank you very much for your time and uh, very much looking forward to future collaboration. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. See you guys.